Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio. From the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, April 28th. Coming up today... Kevin McCarthy turns up the heat on President Biden to avoid a debt ceiling crisis. We'll bring you our interview with the House Speaker. A whipsaw session for Amazon following its earnings report and cloud forecast. And U.S. officials are reportedly coordinating talks to rescue First Republic Bank. New York Governor Hochul says a conceptual agreement has been reached on a budget with the state legislature, plus a deadly Russian attack on Kiev. I'm John Tucker. More ahead. I'm John Stash Darren Sports. The Jets and Giants both drafted defensive players. Wins for the Mets and Yankees. The Devils shut out the Rangers in Game 5. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Amy Morris. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. First House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is escalating demands for President Biden to avoid a debt ceiling crisis. He tells Bloomberg he thinks the Senate and President are ignoring the issue while Republicans want to raise the debt ceiling and cut spending. We help the supply chain. We repeal 87,000 IRS agents. We make America energy independent. We cut the red tape so we can build things again in America. I don't think that's radical. They haven't done anything on the debt ceiling, and the president has ignored this problem. He's actually putting the economy of America in jeopardy. Senate Democrats have declared McCarthy's bill dead on arrival. President Biden and congressional Democrats oppose the measure because it attaches sweeping spending cuts as a condition for raising the debt ceiling. Stay tuned for our complete extended interview with Speaker McCarthy coming up shortly on Bloomberg Daybreak. Meantime, Amy, there's concern among Democrats that President Biden's re-election announcement is not exciting voters. The president's campaign reports not raising much money following the Tuesday announcement. And Bloomberg's Scott Carr has more from Washington. Sources close to the campaign say the sluggish fundraising comes primarily from a lack of outreach to major donors who can boost early totals by making large contributions to the Democratic Party. They say ultimately Biden will have no trouble raising money, but that the campaign had planned to release fundraising totals after 48 hours with the hope of generating some excitement and now may have to wait. On the Republican side, many major donors have decided to withhold contributions until it's apparent a clear challenger emerges to Donald Trump. In Washington, I'm Scott Carr, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, Scott. Speaking of Donald Trump, his former Vice President Mike Pence has now testified before the federal grand jury investigating the plot to overturn the election. We get that story from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. Pence is the highest profile person to do so, and it is significant because he has inside information at the highest level of Trump's activities to try and undermine the process. Pence spent several hours before the grand jury being used by special counsel Jack Smith. Also of significance is the swiftness in which it took place so fast after Trump lost his bid to have Pence's appearance blocked and before his team had the chance to file for the Supreme Court. 
The details of the testimony, of course, are secret. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ed, thanks. Well, turning to the markets now, regional bank turmoil remains in focus. We have new developments on First Republic, and we get the details from Bloomberg Steve Rappaport. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Karen and Amy. Officials from the FDIC, the Treasury Department, and the Federal Reserve are huddling with companies to discuss a possible bailout for First Republic. That's according to Reuters, which also says the government is recruiting more parties for the effort, including banks and equity firms, but it's unclear if Washington will participate in a rescue. First Republic was on the brink of collapse last month when other regional banks suddenly imploded. A coalition of large firms poured $30 billion into the struggling lender to keep it afloat. Live in New York, I'm Steve Rappaport, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Steve. Amazon's also seeing volatility this morning. Initially, earnings boosted Amazon stock around 12 percent. Now it is down 1.3 percent in early trading. On the company conference call, Amazon warned that growth in its cloud business is cooling. Here's Chief Financial Officer Brian Olsovsky. As expected, customers continue to evaluate ways to optimize their cloud spending in response to these tough economic conditions in the first quarter. And we are seeing these optimizations continue into the second quarter with April revenue growth rates about 500 basis points lower than what we saw in Q1. CFO Brian Olsovsky says Amazon's most profitable division saw a 16 percent gain in revenue, the slowest growth rate since Amazon began breaking out the unit sales. Well, let's check some other stocks on the move this morning. Amy, shares of Intel up more than 4%. The chipmaker promising a recovery in the second half, leading investors to look past a disappointing profit margin forecast for the current quarter. And shares of Snap are plunging more than 19% this morning. The Snapchat maker reported its first ever decline in quarterly revenue after making major changes to its advertising tools. And in Asia overnight, Amy, the major focus was on monetary policy. The Bank of Japan announced plans to scrap its guidance on future interest rates at its first meeting under new governor Kazuo Ueda. At the same time, the BOJ is keeping stimulus measures unchanged as it seeks stronger inflation. And Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes is in Japan to cover the policy decision. Over the longer term, their view of inflation could change, and they're still very concerned that they are going to end policy easing too soon. They're going to make the same mistake they made back in the early 2000 when Governor Ueda dissented against a policy vote to raise rates, which had to later be turned around. They had to cut. Many people remember that at the DOJ. I've heard that over and over, and that's why they are so reluctant, and it surprises people. But inflation's rising this year. It's way above target. And that's Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes. While inflation may be above target, the BOJ projects price increases will be below 2% again in three years' time. The central bank is also calling for a long-term review of its policies. And this is Bloomberg. Thank you, Karen. 507 on Wall Street. 51 degrees and cloudy in New York this morning. Rain moving in this afternoon. We're going up to 60 degrees today. Windy and rainy tonight, down to 50. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. And Amy, it took several weeks past the April 1st deadline, but New York Governor Kathy Hochul finally announced a tentative deal on a $229 billion state budget. Hochul says that would provide major changes to New York bail laws. The agreement removes what is known as the least restrictive means standard, which many judges have said tied their hands. It gives judges discretion. They need to hold violent criminals accountable, while still upholding our commitment to a justice system that is fair and accessible to all. 
The governor also says the budget includes an increase in the minimum wage from $15 to $17 in New York City, Westchester County, and Long Island by 2026 and in the rest of the state a year later. It also provides funding for New York City's transit system. The woman accusing Donald Trump of rape went through an intense cross-examination at the rape and defamation lawsuit against the former president. For hours, defense attorney Joe Tacopina attacked the credibility of accuser E. Jean Carroll. Tacopina asked her why she didn't scream during the alleged attack. Carroll responded, he raped me whether I screamed or not. Russia has fired more than 20 cruise missiles and two drones at Kyiv and other parts of Ukraine. The attacks early today killed at least nine people. Two U.S. Army helicopters collided and crashed in Alaska while returning from a training flight, killing three soldiers and injuring a fourth. The crash is the second accident involving military helicopters in Alaska this year. The Air Force has suspended two commanders in the same wing where Massachusetts Air National Guardsman and suspected intelligence leaguer Jack DeShera worked, Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder. The Air Force has initiated an investigation. As you know, the Air Force Inspector General is, is investigating uh, the wing. Um, as you highlight, uh, my understanding is they have suspended, temporarily suspended two leaders within that unit. Meanwhile, the judge presiding over Teixeira's detention hearing put off an immediate decision whether the 21-year-old should be kept in custody until his trial. And a tri-state icon is gone. Stu Leonard Sr. has died. Leonard founded a dairy store in 1969 that became a regional grocery powerhouse under his name. Stu Leonard Sr. was 93. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg. Amy. All right. Thank you, John. It's 510 on Wall Street. Time now for our Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. Thanks, Amy. First round of the NFL draft in Kansas City. Most felt the Jets would try to take a player to help out Aaron Rodgers. Their defense last season was very strong, yet they took a linebacker with the 15th pick, Will McDonald IV from Iowa State. Giants in recent years tried to improve their offense. This time, they also went defense at 25. They drafted Maryland cornerback Deontay Banks. Three quarterbacks taken in the first four picks. Alabama's Bryce Young to Carolina. Ohio State's C.J. Stroud goes to Houston. Anthony Richardson, Florida, drafted by Indianapolis. Alabama players went first and third, and Ohio State players went second and sixth. Baltimore star QB Lamar Jackson finally agreed to a new contract. Five years, an average salary of a record $52 million. The Rangers-Devils series began with a pair of 5-1 to Ranger wins in New Jersey, but since then the Rangers have scored only two goals in three games, none last night. A 4-0 Devils win that has them now up 3-2 with Game 6 tomorrow at the Garden. Tampa Bay stayed alive, winning at Toronto. Vegas advances, beating Winnipeg. NBA, the Celtics advanced to Round 2, a Game 6 win in Atlanta. Two big Game 6s tonight in the West with the Lakers and Warriors both both at home, both up 3-2. Wild one at City Field. Mets were up 7-3, down 8-7. They scored twice in the eighth inning to win 9-8, avoiding what would have been an embarrassing sweep by Washington. And now the Mets welcome in Atlanta for a four-game series. Yankees won 4-2 at Texas. Three solo home runs to back Garrett Cole, who's now 5-0 in ERA, just over one. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor. 
data-powered transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Amy Morris. Let's get more of that interview now with Kevin McCarthy. Facing a fractured caucus, the House Speaker secured a successful vote on his debt ceiling proposal. Its passage puts pressure on President Biden and Democrats to get a deal done and avoid a U.S. default. And now McCarthy's accusing President Biden of purposefully putting the economy at risk. The president, for his part, says he would veto the Republican bill. Happy to meet with McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not negotiable. President Biden is calling for negotiations, but McCarthy says the president and Democrats can avoid a debt ceiling crisis by embracing the Republican plan. The House Speaker sat down with Bloomberg's Anne-Marie Hordern to discuss this all late yesterday. He says the Democrat-controlled Senate has nothing, has done nothing to avoid a debt ceiling crisis and accuses the president of ignoring the problem. Let's bring you that conversation right now. Many people doubted you were going to be able to get this bill passed through the floor. You proved them wrong. You successfully got it through the floor. 217 voting in favor of you. Um, President Biden, though, says he's only going to meet with you if you separate the fiscal spending cuts, the budget, with the debt ceiling. So what comes next? Well, I don't know, because uh, it was 85 days ago I sat down with the president, February 1st, talking about finding a sensible, responsible way to raise the debt limit and make us less dependent on China, curve inflation, and bring growth to this economy. And uh, that's exactly what we just did. The president then said he wasn't going to meet with me until we showed him a plan. So then I showed him a plan, and then we passed it. You know, the way government works is the House passes the bill, the Senate passes a bill, and then you conference together and the president can sign, decide whether he signs it or not. The challenge here is the Senate's done nothing. But, but I shouldn't be rude. They did name March Maine Maple Syrup Month. They did get that done. But they haven't done anything on the debt ceiling, and the president has ignored this problem. He's actually putting the economy of America in jeopardy by not doing anything because only the House has raised the debt limit, passed the bill to do that, and at the same time grow the economy. And we did it with ideas that he has voted for, work requirements. He voted for that as a senator. But more importantly, just a couple months ago in Wisconsin, it passed with 82 percent of the vote to limit our growth in the future so government doesn't get out of control. Well, that's an idea from Joe Manchin. We, we help the supply chain. We repeal 87,000 IRS agents. We make America energy independent. We cut the red tape so we could build things again in America. I don't think that's radical. And the words that are coming out of the White House that we are going to melt children's bones, we're going to create asthma, there's nothing in the bill that does that. It actually protects veterans, protects our military, makes us uh, curve inflation, but keeps us a stronger pace for the future. So Biden didn't say, though, show me a plan. He said, show me a budget. This is just a proposal, but it's not exactly a budget. But he is signaling an openness if these two were separated. So why not just 
pass a debt ceiling. This is what Congress is scheduled to do and has to do for the full uh, faith and credit of the United States. And then at the same time, have those negotiations regarding a budget for the fiscal year. Okay, well, let me just clarify to to your viewers so they don't get mixed up like you did. A budget has nothing to do with the debt ceiling. And so you said we should pass a, a debt, increasing a debt ceiling. That's what we did yesterday. We increased the debt ceiling by $1.5 that goes into the next year. We also helped grow the economy, curve inflation, and make savings. So we did everything everybody requested of. And what, you, what people really need to look to is... The president has done nothing. He's ignored it for 85 days. And if you wonder, has this ever been combined together? Yeah. Has the president ever voted for that? Yeah, he voted for it for four times. And the four times he voted against the debt ceiling, you know why he said he did? Because he wanted to see more fiscal changes. Without, he didn't want to vote for a clean debt ceiling. Every single time we move forward on the debt ceiling. Last time, Nancy Pelosi said she wouldn't raise the debt ceiling without the economics, the spending decided upon. We watched Chuck Schumer say the leverage all he has is to deal with the debt ceiling. So I don't know why they're changing everything now. The debt ceiling negotiations in 2011 were called the Biden talks. Biden ridiculed anybody who wouldn't sit down to negotiate. So I'm not sure if he can can't remember what he did in the past or what he said in the past. But the one thing I do know for history is we have never defaulted. And the House is the only place that has taken an action to already raise the debt ceiling, pass that through the House, and actually put an economic plan that has savings. We're at $32 trillion in debt. That's bigger than our entire economy, 20 percent bigger. The current Congressional Budget Office says we're going to pay 10. $5 trillion just in interest in the next 10 years. But compare that to what we paid since 1940 till today, 83 years, only $9 trillion. If we continue down this path for the first time in the history of a 10-year window of any president, transportation, Medicare and Social Security go insolvent. So he's actually cutting those programs and just sitting there ignoring it, treating it like he treats the border, ignoring it, think it'll go away. It will not go away. So you want these two issues to be congruent with each other, and you want budget talks to go alongside raising the debt ceiling. What the White House wants is separate discussions. But Congressman Ralph Norman told Political Playbook that in a bid to win all your conferences support, that you promised conservatives that the debt ceiling bill they voted on yesterday was a floor, not a ceiling, and that you would personally oppose a fight against any debt ceiling agreement that does not include all of the red meat provisions in the House bill. If this is the floor, where is there going to be even room for compromise between you and the White House? You know what? I'm taking exactly what Nancy Pelosi said as the last speaker that the, uh, just a debt ceiling vote cannot pass the floor without dealing with the budget. We are at a $32 trillion deficit. When are we ever going to take this up? The Democrats had added $6 trillion. The president wants to spend more money than he spent during COVID. So let me ask you this. To the American public, more than 70% believe we should sit down to negotiate. That's the design of government. But should we actually save money, too? Is there nowhere in government that you can save money? What about the billions of dollars that have already been appropriated for the pandemic? The president signed a bill this year that the pandemic has ended. If this money has stayed dormant for two years and not spent during the pandemic, why should we spend it now? That's the hard-working taxpayers' money. Why wouldn't you claw that back? 
We have a supply chain problem. So why wouldn't we help people get jobs? What work requirements actually do? For those who are able-bodied with no dependents, something the president had voted for before. Why don't we protect so we don't have inflation in the future and actually curve how much government can grow by? It grew by 30% under the Democrat control. So we cap it at 1%. That's an idea of Joe Manchin a senator, and a Democrat. Did you see what Joe Manchin said today? He said, if the president does not sit down and negotiate with the speaker myself, that the American public will blame him for the first historical default in American history. And that's exactly yes, what has happened for the about, last 85 days. Yes, and he also talked about a common sense compromise. That's so my right. question to you, if there was a compromise, do you think you're going to have the unity in your caucus that you were able to receive last night? You know, that's a great question because that's the same question I had all week, whether I could pass this bill. You know what happens with a compromise? We can get something together. It's what I sat down with the president the very beginning in February 1st. I said, Mr. President, why don't we sit down and work through it? There's two things I will not do, Mr. President. I will not raise taxes, and we will not pass a clean debt ceiling. But we can talk about everything else. We could spend less money. We could secure our border. We can make ourselves energy independent so we make more jobs. We could do work requirements. We could claw back COVID money. All of that could save, and we could try to come to an agreement. The only way that you can come to an agreement is if the other side has any ideas. I produced our plan. We proved we can pass it. Show me what yours is. The Senate has done nothing. The president has done nothing. So tell me, where is their compromise? We're the only people that have passed a bill that will raise the debt limit so we won't have economic and a default. The president has not. So I'm not quite sure what he's doing. Well, the president did put out a budget, and he has said that he was waiting for the Republican budget. But I do agree with you in the sense that this is an opening salvo of these negotiations since you were able to pass this plan. Um, I'm guessing okay, the White okay, House has yet to reach but, but, out because I saw their statements. I just want to quickly ask you, though, because at some point the Senate, well, they're not going to, they say it's dead on arrival. But what do you make of Mitch McConnell, your colleague in the Senate, minority leader? He has really deferred this to you. What kind of role do you think he can play in these negotiations? Okay, but before I answer that, we have to clarify. You have said something twice about a budget, okay? You have to understand this is not a state capital. When we pass a budget in the House, it never goes to the president. A budget resolution is not binding. You can pass a budget, but it doesn't raise the debt limit. So don't confuse a budget with a debt limit. We are coming up on a debt limit here in June or July. That's where the default raises. So what the House did was the action to deal with the debt limit. We produced a plan that would limit, save, and grow. Now, to your other question about Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans. They are saying the exact same thing. They support our plan. They're telling Schumer, why don't you produce something? They're telling the president that he needs to sit down and negotiate. That's what the majority of America is saying. America believes regardless. It doesn't matter what party you're in. You should sit down, find common ground, come back with a responsible plan that could put our economy back on the right track, curve inflation, make us less dependent on China, secure and protect Medicare and Social Security and raise the debt limit. That's what we've done in the House, and that's what I'd like to talk to the president about. 
Um, you mentioned Medicaid. I know that this bill also accelerates some uh, provisions to, uh, to next year instead of 2025 in access to Medicaid. And I'm sure you've seen the ads the former President Trump is running now against Ron DeSantis. Uh, President Donald Trump is saying that he wants to keep Medicare uh, and Social Security, and he's going after uh, Ron DeSantis and what he said in the past on that. Do you think, given this bill does touch Medicaid in some respects, the House Republicans are going against the leader of the party? Okay, again, I don't want to correct you, but you said two different things here, okay? You talked about Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security. Those are three different things. In our bill, it doesn't, it only protects Medicare and Social Security. Currently, the president would cut it by doing nothing. Medicaid, all we do within Medicaid, if you are able-bodied and you have no dependents, it could give a work requirement. Now, what does that actually mean, 20 hours? That means you could go to school for 20 hours. That just means you're looking for a job. It helps you that we find every statistical point in the past, it puts more people to work. This is the exact same thing that Wisconsin just a month ago had an election statewide where the Democrats were very successful. They overtook the Supreme Court. And on the ballot, there was a work requirement for Medicaid. It's paid half by the state and half by the federal government. You have an F map, not exactly equal there. But what it does is it passed by 82% of the vote. So you know what's interesting here is? This is what passed and was signed into law with, with Senator Biden then with President Clinton. So yes, we think this helps people to move them into the workforce, help the supply chain. And you know what happens when they get that job? They're paying into Medicare and Social Security. Those were the two things that President Trump was talking about. And so our plan actually strengthens those. What President Biden is doing is automatically cutting those because they come insolvent if his budget is put in place. I want to quickly ask you about something else that's circulating today. Russia TV has been airing this video of uh, the Fed chair, Jay Powell, who he thinks in the moment he's talking to President Zelensky, but it's actually his Russian pranksters. There's been a long list of foreign officials and politicians that these pranksters have gone after. You are the Speaker of the House. I'm curious, have you ever been approached by these individuals? Have you ever gotten an invitation to maybe sit down with a Zelensky or, or someone from the Ukrainian government? Now, I haven't sat down with real Zelensky, but I have had the pranksters try to get me, and they did not. My staff actually did the back work and found out they were pranksters. But there's a long history here. We had Adam Schiff fell for this and said some really stupid things. And he did that as the chairman of the Intel Committee. Uh, which was shocking to me that he would do that or the things. But he was so driven to go after President Trump at the time, he would talk to anyone and believe anything they would say. Now, they just did this to Colin, to, to Jay Powell with the Federal Reserve, which elected officials need to be warned and need to do double checking before they take these calls so they have a clear understanding. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, 
Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Amy Morris. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.